coming up on Philosophy Talk. What have the Romans ever done for us? Classic liberalism says we have the right to self-government because we're born free, equal, and capable of rationality. How did a belief like that lead to colonialism? I'll grant you the aqueduct, the sanitation, the two things the Romans have done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously not roads. I mean, the roads go without saying, don't they? Liberalism claims to be pro-freedom. So how did it end up being used to justify empire? How could a pro-freedom philosophy end up taking freedom away from people around the world? Well, apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct, and the roads. Irrigation. Medicine. Education. Yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the wine. Is liberalism just misunderstood? Or were its moral flaws built in from the beginning? I am a kind of tortured liberal. Our guest is Uday Singh Mehta, author of Liberalism and Empire. The tortured liberal does things with humility. Liberty and justice for who? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Are freedom and equality all we need? Or do liberal ideals just end up supporting oppression? How can we make sure that justice is for everybody? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today's episode is generously sponsored by the Stanford Global Studies Program. And we're asking, liberty and justice for who? Liberty and justice for everyone, right, Ray? I mean, we're all capable of rationality, and we all deserve to be free and equal. Oh, yeah. Interesting to hear that coming from an Englishman, Josh. Didn't your country run an oppressive colonial empire for centuries? Uh, you're the one to talk. I mean, your precious United States was founded on colonialism, manifest destiny, slavery. Yeah, okay. You know, you're right, but you Brits are the ones who invented the whole ideology of liberalism. I mean, you had John Locke and John Stuart Mill telling people that everyone was free and equal, and then just using those ideas to steal other people's land and enslave them. What do you mean, Ray? You think a bunch of philosophers invaded India? Well, sort of, yeah. I mean, they didn't march in with muskets, but, you know, John Locke did have stock in the Royal Africa Company, which was involved in the slave trade, and, and John Stuart Mill worked for the British East India Company, which stole something like $45 trillion worth of stuff from India. Look, I, I mean, working for those companies was pretty awful. I won't defend that. All I want to say is that, you know, Locke and Mill still had some interesting ideas. I mean, weren't they right to say that freedom and equality are important? Well, no, I think their ideas were exactly what enabled England to build this huge empire and then pretend that everything they were doing was okay. I, I don't get it, Ray. I mean, those classical liberals, people like Locke and Mill, they, they said everyone's capable of rationality. And, and, and like as a consequence, they should be allowed to govern themselves. So, so how can that possibly be used as a justification for taking away people's autonomy and replacing it with British rule? Well, yeah, you know, they thought everybody was capable of rationality in theory, but only some people they thought were actually rational. Oh, if you were English, then, then you counted as capable of self-governance. But if you were born and raised in Ireland or India or Africa, well, then they thought you kind of had to be babysat by somebody more responsible. Well, that is clearly a ridiculous belief on their part, but surely it's not a problem with the concept of rationality. I mean, they just failed to recognize rationality in other people because they couldn't see past things like differences in language and customs. They, they saw people wearing different clothes and they foolishly concluded that those people weren't civilized. So that's obviously a huge and, and dramatically problematic error 
But it's not a problem for liberalism. I mean, if they'd been proper liberals, they would have opposed that kind of bigotry. Well, well, Josh, they were liberals. They were like the the, the earliest liberals, and they, they didn't oppose that kind of close-minded bigotry. So liberalism as an ideology just doesn't work. It just ends up being cover for theft and exploitation. I don't know, Ray. I, I, any ideology can be used as a cover for theft and exploitation. Look, look at the United States. You, you all didn't appeal to liberalism. You said God wanted you to conquer the entire continent. And, and, and you know, when the Persians, the Persians are running around conquering all their neighbors, I don't think they were quoting John Locke. Uh, you have to face facts. Even if liberalism isn't worse than other ideologies, it's still useless. It doesn't matter if it could theoretically work in some ideal world. It could never work in reality. Never? I mean, look at us today. I mean, we're, don't get me wrong, we're not doing perfectly by any means, but we're at least doing better. I mean, Britain doesn't have an empire anymore, for one thing, and, and a lot of Western social institutions including the good ones, are grounded on liberal principles, principles of self-governance. Ooh, a lot of Western social institutions isn't that nice for the West. What about the rest of the world? <laughs> well, even outside the West, Ray, some democratic movements draw on liberal ideas. Why not give credit where it's due? Well, I still think liberalism has done more harm than good, and I, I bet our guest is going to back me up. It's Uday Singh Mehta from the City University of New York, author of Liberalism and Empire. I don't know. I think he may back me up. Ideals of equality and rationality have sometimes had great effects, like the Haitian Revolution, which has been described as the largest and most successful revolt led by slaves in the Western Hemisphere. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to look into that uprising for liberty, equality, and fraternity for all. She files this report. He knew French, British, and Spanish imperialists for the insatiable gangsters that they were. That passage is from The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James. It's an account of the 1791 Haitian Revolution. It's a very popular book on the British left that many read, knowing nothing about Haiti, but having an interest in radical politics and in Atlantic history. Charles Forsdick, now a professor of French at the University of Liverpool, says a long time ago, before he even got into studying France in earnest, he read that book. It tells the story of former slave and military leader Toussaint Louverture. He was born in the French Caribbean colony called San Domingo, now Haiti. He led thousands of former slaves into battle against French, Spanish, and English forces. There is no oath too sacred for them to break. No crime, deception, treachery, cruelty, destruction of human life and property, which they would not commit against those who could not defend themselves. Forstick is co-author of the book Toussaint Louverture, a black Jacobin in the age of revolutions. Earlier in his career studying French history, Forstick kept noticing there wasn't much acknowledgement of the Haitian Revolution. 150 years before the major wave of decolonization following the Second World War, because of its prematurity, it was systematically silenced and disavowed in the Atlantic world of the 19th century because of the, its potentially incendiary messages. The Haitian revolutionary said if there is to be liberty, it must be for all people, a message different from liberal thinkers elsewhere. He didn't see freedom as a, as a kind of gift from above. You know, under Toussaint's leadership, it had to be won by the enslaved masses themselves from below. That's Christian Hawksberg, professor of history and politics at the University of Brighton. He co-wrote that book on Tucson with Charles Forsdick. But let's back up for a moment. 
and aristocrats. So former slaves in Haiti revolted and battled French slave owners just a few years after France's own revolution against the absolute power of the king. I'm very much afraid, my good tutor, that you have taught my nephew to take the new philosophy of equality seriously. Now, I enjoy Monsieur Voltaire and these other modern philosophers, but I, I take them lightly, and merely as an exercise for the mind. Most of our lands are stolen. I intend to see them return to the peasants to whom they rightfully belong. Really? The Spanish, French, and English all wanted control of Haiti. Toussaint Louverture and his army sided with Spain. Then he switched allegiance to the French when the revolutionary government first outlawed slavery in 1794. It was under the leadership of the Jacobins, most radical, liberal, sort of bourgeois wing of the French Revolution under Robespierre, and Toussaint realized that actually this was a government that was actually quite sincere about its commitment to the Enlightenment ideas of liberty, equality, fraternity. But then Toussaint Louverture's trust in France cost him. After the rise of Napoleon, he was tricked, captured by the French, and died in prison. So he never actually became the leader who actually saw the ultimate victory of the Haitian Revolution. That fell to his uh, one of his lieutenants, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, who actually ultimately led the Haitian Revolution to victory in 1804 after a bloody war of independence. In order to secure that independence, French slaveholders and their descendants demanded that Haiti pay the equivalent of between 20 and 30 billion in today's dollars. Even President Thomas Jefferson made sure to isolate the country politically and economically. Again, Charles Forsdick. That's why the story of Haiti as a political force, it's very much blunted, um, silenced, disavowed. But the success of the Haitian Revolution also became a source of inspiration for people resisting enslavement and racism, from the Civil War in the U.S. to the anti-colonial movements of the 50s and 60s. And crucially, that legacy of the Haitian Revolution um, was very apparent in summer um, 2020, um, when Louverture became recognized as, as one of the precursors of the Black Lives Matter movement. Malcolm said it, Martin said it, Marley said it, Ali said it, Garvey said it, Two Saints said it, I weren't there, but I'm sure Dissaline said it. And in Haiti and elsewhere, the struggle continues to deliver the universal emancipation that the revolution promised. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. If you ain't found something to die for, you never live. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.